Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, our gospel text for this morning is the very familiar parable of the dishonest manager. It's also arguably one of the more difficult parables to try to understand. So let's see if we can't make a little bit more sense of it here this morning. Now, sometimes when we look at these parables, we can gain a little better understanding by seeing what comes just before and what comes just right afterwards. In this, uh, this Gospel of St. Luke, when we look before, Jesus just finished telling some other parables. He tells the, uh, the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. And all three of those have a very similar point, that God seeks out the lost and he rejoices when they are found. God, who's represented by the father in the familiar prodigal son, even races out to embrace the son who once wished that he was dead. Three beautiful illustrations of God's love and compassion towards us sinners. Then comes our parable of the dishonest manager. So our context really doesn't help us much at all, does it? We're on to a new topic altogether. But when we look at those other parables, the way that we interpret them, they can also help us a little bit here today. Our parable is straightforward enough. Our manager learns that he will soon be out of a job. So he starts to reason with himself. He says, well, I'm not strong enough to do manual labor anymore, and I'm too proud to go out and beg, so he must come up with some other plan. So he devises this plan to gain the favor of the master's tenants. He goes to each one of his master's debtors and reduces their bills. So by doing this, he will gain a reputation as somebody who's kind and generous. So when he is without means, that they will be kind and generous with him in turn. And as we see our parable, he's even commended by his master for this shrewdness. So when we look at that, at first glance, it almost sounds like Jesus is encouraging us to be dishonest. It looks like Jesus is encouraging us to lie, cheat, and steal just like this dishonest manager. And by the way, don't use this as a, uh, as a, a method of uh, managing your affairs either. It's, that's not what Jesus is trying to tell us. But we know it can't be the case when we think that Jesus might be telling us to lie, cheat, and steal, because we hear quite the contrary elsewhere in the scriptures. We learn from the small catechism. What is the seventh commandment? You shall not steal. And what does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. So not only do we learn in our catechism that we're not supposed to steal, but also that we're supposed to help our neighbor to help to, uh, to improve and protect his possessions and his income. So our 
dishonest servant didn't do that at all. We also learn from the ninth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. And what does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way which only appears right, but help and be of service to him in keeping it. So as we look at our dishonest manager, he's guilty on both charges. He cancels a debt that was not his to cancel. As our Lord explained the commandments, it's not enough to keep the letter of the law, is it? When we desire to break the commandment in our hearts, we've already broken the letter of the law. As soon as our manager devises his scheme, he already broke the law of God. And Christ gets to this very point at the end of our text. And oftentimes when you look at a text and even in our own dealings with people, as we talk to one another, people will often put the very important thing at the very end. Had that happen a lot of times when I would have somebody in my office for pastoral counseling and we would talk for 20, 30 minutes. And then I would ask them at the very end, is there anything else you want to discuss? Oh, yeah, the reason why I came in here was and they tell me why they came in after talking for 30 minutes. So likewise, Christ gets to the the very point at the end of our text where he says, one cannot serve both God and money. It's not the money itself that's the issue. The issue is when we turn that money into a false god. Again, in our catechism, we learn that phrase well. We should fear, love, and trust God. We say that over and over and over again, don't we? So the question becomes, do you trust in God or do you trust in your wealth? Do you trust God or do you trust your possessions? Are you comforted by being surrounded by your stuff or are you comforted by being in the presence of God? And to be honest, we fall into this trap so easily, especially as one who's moved multiple times in my military service. I found that I don't feel at home until I'm surrounded by all of my stuff or comforted by our belongings. We even chase after possessions in an attempt to portray a specific image of the world because we want the world to see us in a particular way. If anyone, if you want everyone to know how wealthy you are, well, you drive certain cars, you live in particular neighborhoods, you wear specific clothes. If you want everybody to know how concerned you are about the environment, you drive a different kind of a car, you live in a different neighborhood and wear different clothes. The same goes for the rugged individualist, the outdoorsman, the gamer, whoever you are. We serve our possessions rather than the other way around. We draw comfort and peace from our possessions. That's why the latest and greatest is never good enough, because there's something always greater right around the corner. So let's turn back to our manager. What is not said by our manager is as important as what is said. 
So if our manager truly loved money, our parable would look a little bit different. He could have gone to each of his master's debtors and collected part of that debt and built up his own riches and provided for himself. He could have gone to each one of them and said, I see that your, your bill is for so many measures of wheat and so much oil, and I want you to give that to me right now because the master needs it right away. So he could have gone to each of them and taken all of this stuff for himself and built up a nice nest egg so that when he was without money, he would have means for himself. He could have been skimming a little bit off the top all along the way. He could have been building up that nice little nest egg. He could have even figured out a way to swindle his master out of some of that property to give himself a steady income for the rest of his days. So he could have done all of those things, couldn't he? He could have outright stolen from his master. But the only way that that would have worked would be if his master was known to be cruel and harsh. If that were the case, the tenants wouldn't question it at all if they had to unexpectedly pay their debt, right? If he was known as this cruel, harsh master, and he said, hey, the master needs it right right now, they would say, yeah, that, that kind of figures. Let me give you some of this money, right? They would, have, they would have gone along with his plan and not questioned it at all. And his reputation as a ruthless master, it would have been strengthened. But instead, our dishonest manager was counting on the generous reputation of his master. Because likewise, if he was a harsh master and he walked up to him and he said, I want you to take your bill and I want you to cut it in half, they would have said, now, wait a minute. This doesn't sound like the master I know. Something is wrong. And they would have called him out on the spot. So he was counting on that generous reputation of the master. His scheme would only work if his master was known to be kind and generous and forgiving. Let's turn back a second now to our parable of the prodigal son. That parable only makes sense when we look at it in terms of the father. And we look at it in terms of the generous, loving nature of the father, who loves both of his sons. He loves the son who stays and does his duty, and he loves the son who squanders his belongings. So our parable takes on a new meaning as we focus our attention on the master rather than the manager. Again, with the prodigal son, it's striking when we focus on the loving and forgiving nature of the father. He loves both of his sons dearly. He loves his obedient son as well as his prodigal son. From this parable, we learn more about the loving nature of our heavenly father. With the rich man in today's parable, we likewise learn of the generous nature of God. Because of his generous reputation, the tenants do not question when the manager tells them to reduce their debt with no explanation. And in turn, the manager's reputation, or I'm sorry, in, in, in turn, his reputation would have been ruined if he went back and insisted that they pay the full amounts. If he would have realized what the manager did and went back and said, 
no, this is all a mistake, you owe me the full amount, his reputation would be shot. It isn't expressly stated here, but the same thing could be said concerning the forgiveness of sins. We come to church every week, and your pastor tells you to take out your ledger. Come, show me your debt. Then he tells you to tear it up. He tells you to cast it into the depths of the sea. He tells you to burn it. He tells you that your ledger is now wiped clean. You are forgiven in Christ. You trust your pastor, not because of the nature of your pastor, not because of his reputation, but because the generous nature of the master. Because of the generous nature of Christ and his atoning sacrifice, whatever debt you owe has been paid in full by Christ himself. On the day of judgment, God will not change his mind. He won't take a look at this ledger and say, no, 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 you got to pay the full debts because it's already been paid in full by Christ. He will not tarnish his reputation as a loving, generous, forgiving father. Again, from our small catechism, it reads in part, what is the office of the keys? The office of the keys is that special authority which Christ has given to his church on earth to forgive the sins of repentant sinners. And where is this written? This is what St. John the Evangelist writes in chapter 20. The Lord Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So what do we believe according to these words? I believe that when a called ministers of Christ deal with us by his divine command, in particularly when they absolve those who repent of their sins and want to do better, this is just as valid and certain, even in heaven, as if Christ our Lord dealt with us himself. It's as if Christ were standing here. It's as if Christ were taking a look at our ledgers and wiping them clean. It's as if he took our debt and paid them in full. The so-called dishonest manager, he shows us that proper attitude towards money and possessions. He does not put his hope and his trust in his money. He puts his hope and his trust in the generosity and the forgiveness of his rich master. He does not praise him for cheating him out of his possessions. He praises him for furthering his reputation as a kind and a generous master. By forgiving the debt of the tenants, their love and their admiration for their master grows even stronger. And by extension, the, master, the manager, too, enjoys their love and their admiration. And so it is with our money and our possessions. We cannot serve both God and money. Give generously, not for your benefit, but so that others will see how generously our Father in heaven gives. Likewise, forgive generously, as you have been forgiven. 
not for your benefit, but so that others will see how generously our Father in heaven forgives our sins. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.